I don't remember uh, exactly when it was, but it was a long time ago, early to mid-1960s or so. I was on uh, vacation with my parents. I don't remember uh, exactly where we were again, but uh, it was summertime, it was warm, and we were in an ocean-slash-beach community. And one morning, my dad said to me, thought that uh, he, he said he saw something that he thought we could do that would be a lot of fun, that would be different. And so we got into a car and drove to a dock. And it was there that we boarded a glass-bottom boat. And I don't think I'd ever seen one before. In fact, I think in the early 60s, I don't think many people had ever seen one before. But being from a dust west, dusty West Texas town at the time, I thought it was a really great, great, great idea. And while I'd played in ocean water as a young boy, I'd always wondered what was underneath the surface of the water. And as we ventured out in the glass-bottom boat and that puttered along and the depth increased, a brand new world opened up to me that I never knew existed. The water was crystal clear and fish and creatures and plant life of every color of the rainbow appeared as we went across the surface of the water. It was an epiphany whose power remains with me to this day. And I'm reminded of this first experience of seeing below the surface of the ocean every time I enter it now to this day. Last week, I began this two-part series on the Lord's Prayer. And as I've thought about it, I have to say that in some ways, the Lord's Prayer is like a glass-bottom boat. Because if we get on board with it, if we attend to it, if we work on living it, if we really strive to live by what we are saying through it, a whole new world will open up to us. And when the Lord's Prayer becomes a foundation to our lives, we will never ever see things the same again. Everything changes. Last week I even said that the prayer contains some of the most radical words around. Radical in the sense, using one definition of radical, that the prayer can change the fundamental nature of who we are. As I think about my life and its challenges over the years, there are times that I certainly want the fundamental nature of who I am to be a bit different and more in alignment with God. The Lord's Prayer is transformational, upending, and life-altering. And last week, we began to look at the prayer phrase by phrase, and we're going to continue to do so today, but just for a very few moments, I just want to highlight, just skim across the top of the water of some of what we covered last week, phrase by phrase. The praise, as we all know, begins with the words, Our Father, and when Jesus said, Our Father, for him, Father meant the one that nourished him, the one that sustained him, the one that protected him. So when Jesus said our Father, he was thinking of the one that really kept him going. Father, the word Father, the image of Father for Jesus conveyed deep intimacy and closeness and represented the fact that the one to whom he was turning, God, was trustworthy. I trust you, God. When Jesus said our Father, he was seeing God as trustworthy, as solid, as a foundation to be dependent upon through anything, strong, unbreakable. And Father, for Jesus met the one, the one being that would always treat him in the right way. And when Jesus said, our Father, he was saying, God, I want to be as close to you as you are to me. And Jesus encouraged his followers and encourages us to have these images of God in mind when we turn to the words of this prayer. And I have to say again, as I said last week, as a quick aside, I did discuss in some detail that the word Father can be problematic for some because of bad or horrific experiences with earthly fathers. That is a truth. 
And we all need to be sensitive to this and caring about this. And that if this is the case for you, skip the word Father and simply use the word God or Lord, keeping all the characteristics of God, the strong, loving, nurturing God that we have in mind. Well, next in the prayer we find who art in heaven. And while God is absolutely everywhere and God's spirit within us, this phrase, who art in heaven, is supposed to remind us when we are praying the words of this prayer where it is we are headed, that we are headed to heaven. We are headed to a place and a space where everything will be okay and everything is as it should be. It is a profound message of hope and it is meant to instill hope within us when we are praying this word, these words, who art in heaven words of hope because we know where we're going to end up and that all will be well when it is all said and done so God the God my rock my solid rock who nourishes me who loves me who I want to be close to I know where I'm headed that's what these first words of the prayer mean then we found the words hallowed be thy name and here we're reminded when we pray that we're encouraged to praise God I praise you God I worship you God I love you, God. You're amazing. You're awesome. I revere you. I thank you. You're everything to me. I exist because of you. And we say, hallowed be thy, thy name. That's what we mean by saying it. We're conveying we're totally devoted to the one to whom we're praying. And then finally, last week, we got into some detail about God's kingdom. We touched on the words, your kingdom come. And God's kingdom is the space and the time and the place where everything will be as it should be. A space and time and place without suffering, illness, injustice, or hurt or heartache. A space and time and place where love and wonder and kindness, compassion, mercy, humility, joy, and selflessness will prevail. A space and time with no egos and no competition where nobody is left behind. And when we are praying for God's kingdom to come, we're saying we want that reality to invade our reality. We want your kingdom to come into our kingdom. We want your kingdom to take over the kingdom of the earth, politically, economically, socially, culturally. We want your ways to be the ways of the earth. That's what we're saying when we say your kingdom come. Paul wrote in a letter that basically when we take Christ seriously, when we take God's kingdom seriously, when we pray for God's kingdom, we're willing to fit every thought, emotion, and impulse into a life shaped by Christ. Well, given this fast review of last week, let's move on. Thy will be done. Maybe the most potent three words in all of Scripture. Maybe the hardest words found in all of Scripture. But when we pray these words, God, your will be done, not my will be done, we are saying, God, open me up to newness in my life. Open me up to new meaning. Open me up to seeing things your way. Open me up to your sense of purpose for my life. Open me up to being more faithful to you. And when we pray, God, your will be done, if we really mean it, we are saying, God, I totally let go of control of my life and I give you control of my life. And in essence, when we say, God, your, your will be done, we are saying, God, help me to accept what will serve me the most so that I can serve you the best. God, what is it when I pray, your will be done? God, what is it that I need to do? What is it that I need to listen to that I haven't been hearing? What is it that I need to receive in my life? What is it that I need to reject in my life? What do I need to decline in my life? What do I need to get out of my life? What do I need to get into in my life? What do I need to be brought into my life? What do I need to embrace, be receptive to? 
all of these questions. What do I need, God, so that my will will be your will? I pray for your will in my life, whatever it is, not mine. Help me to be totally open to it. And if we pray these words over and over and over and over again, our lives will be profoundly altered. We may even be startled. And while we are all imperfect and will never be able to completely align our wills to God's because we are human, God and Jesus, through these words that he taught us, remind us to each day have the stance, God, your will be done in life. Your will, not my will. Whatever that is. This beautiful reading today from Paul's letter to the Colossians, if you read it carefully, it echoes so much of what is found in the Lord's Prayer. And then Paul talks about in this letter that he's praying for the people in the community, that they will grow in their knowledge of God, that they will learn to live as God wants them to live, that they will be strong because they depend upon the power of God, that they will have the patience to endure everything, that they will do good deeds, that they'll experience freedom and forgiveness. And when we pray the words of the Lord's Prayer, this is what, these are the kinds of things that we're praying to come into our lives. And we pray, God, your will, be done in my, your will be done in my life. That is specifically what Paul talks about in this letter that he hopes for that community of faith. Moving on, next in the prayer we find the words, give us this day our daily bread. This is a big one, almost as hard as thy will be done. There's a guy named John Ortberg. He writes a bunch about this. I love what he tells and what he writes in regard to give us this day our daily bread. He tells the story of a 16-year-old girl. And one day the girl goes into her bedroom and she walks into her closet and rifles through her clothes. This, of course, is after she goes into the drawers in her dresser and rifles through all those clothes, too. It is then that her parents, who are in another room, suddenly hear their daughter scream, I have nothing to wear! <laughs> he also tells the story of a young boy who's hungry. You know how this is going to go. The boy goes to the kitchen and walks into a pantry. He looks around, he picks this up, he picks that up, he puts that down, he picks this up, and his parents hear him say, There's nothing to eat! Ortberg then writes, how do we pray for daily bread? And what does it even mean to pray for daily bread when our child has an iPhone that is worth more than the annual salary of many families in many, many parts of the world? Give us this day our daily bread. This phrase, I believe, compels us, at least it compels me to ask, so what do I really need? How does what I need really differ from what I want? Where am I with contentment? And if I'm not content, why not? What do I really need? By what standard do we answer that question? Ours? God's? The U.S.? Pitkin County? How do we determine what we need? And when Jesus said, pray, give us this day our daily bread, he was clearly 
inviting us to pray for what we need today, not tomorrow, today. Talk about mindfulness. Jesus introduced mindfulness through this prayer. Focus right now on today. God, give me what I need. What do we need? Great question for us to think about the rest of the day. And finally, with regard to these words, one person says, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, God, God invites us to remember through our actions each and every day those who literally have no bread. Next in the prayer, we find forgive us our trespasses if we forgive those who trespass against us. I love what the theologian, teacher, and bishop of the church in England, N.T. Wright, says about this. He writes, Failure to forgive one another is not a matter of failing to live up to a new moral teaching. Failure to forgive one another, rather, is cutting off the branch we're sitting on. In other words, through Jesus, we are forgiven. That is our state. That is our trait. We are forgiven. We do not need to earn forgiveness when it comes to God in any way, in any way shape, or form. And therefore, the hard question for each of us is why then, therefore, would we withhold forgiveness from another as God has forgiven us and the other in question? Now, you may remember the story in Matthew's gospel at this point. There's this king, and this king has loaned a lot of money to a lot of people. And one day he says, I'm tired of this. I'm going to get my money back. So in response, there's a fellow who goes to the king and says, King, I can't repay you. My debt is too huge. Please, please help me with this debt. And the king in response feels compassion. And so he forgives the guy's debt, not just in the short term, but completely. Well, later, the same guy who owed the king money approaches a fellow who owes him money. And then one in debt says to the man, I am so sorry, I cannot repay you. I don't have the money. Please help me. And the fellow who's owed money says, too bad for you. You owe me the money. You're going to jail because you can't pay me back. Well, the king hears that the fellow whose debt he forgave would not forget the debt he was owed. The king was ticked. He had the guy brought to him and said, how could you not forgive the debt someone owes you right after I forgave you the massive debt you owed me? Now, the story highlights that forgiveness comes from the place of knowing not only that we need forgiveness, but it comes from the place of knowing and believing and accepting that we are forgiven, period, forgiven. And despite this, sometimes... In my experience in the lives of many of you, forgiveness is brutally impossible or seemingly impossible. It's hard. It cuts us. It's then I believe God invites us to say something, God, I, like, God, I can't forgive. It seems impossible to me, but I know you are in me, your very presence. Please help me with this and show me the way toward forgiveness. And while I may not be able to forgive on my own, I know you through me can. Now, I've done a whole series repeatedly on forgiveness, and I can't get into all of it today. 
but I just want to remind us that forgiveness is a journey. Sometimes it takes a lifetime. It can be hard. It can be brutal. It can be agonizing. We're not bad if we're having a hard time forgiving. We're human. Forgiveness is not saying, oh, and okay, oh, never mind about that. It is, however, about letting go of our need to get even. And then, of course, there is a whole deal of learning to forgive ourselves, which can be the toughest. But when we pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are saying that we are willing, with God's help, to jump into the messy fray of issues of forgiveness. It doesn't mean we're necessarily ready to completely resolve what's going on. But again, it means that we're willing to jump into the fray of it all, acknowledging and embracing the truth that we're forgiven. Next in the prayer of the words, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Certainly Jesus dealt with a lot. He was tempted by evil in the most challenging ways, yet he overcame evil through God's power. And so when we pray this prayer, deliver us from evil, we need to remember that we are turning to the power that Jesus used. When we pray these words, we are praying that God will not only deliver us from evil, but that we will be freed from giving in to temptation through the power of God. Back to N.T. Wright, he writes about evil a lot, and he says there are several ways we can respond to evil. We can stick, in our head, we can stick our heads in the sand and claim it's not really a big deal. Evil's not a big deal. I'm not even sure it really even exists. That's one way we can respond. Another way can, we can respond is we can wallow in it, seeing evil behind every bush and nook and cranny. We can be self-righteous by saying, I'm so faithful, I am so holy, I don't have a problem with temptation, ever. I'm just a good person. Or we can pray about it, be aware of it, turn to God over and over, and ask God to help us with us as we do through this prayer. Remember that evil is not a power opposite and equal to God, but rather a force that is opposed to God. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are acknowledging that there are many temptations present in our lives that can lead us away from all that is good and right. And we're praying not to be led into temptations, but if we are faced with them, we pray that God will give us the resources to overcome. And finally, the last words in the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom, forever and ever, amen. These words are not found in either Matthew or, God or Luke. Jesus may not have said them. But most scholars believe that these words were offered in the very early part of the first century after Jesus' death in a manuscript found that is known as the Teaching of the Twelve Apostles. So the words go way, way, way back to the very beginning. They are a doxology. And a doxology simply means words of praise. Well, we say this doxology every week when we say the Lord's Prayer. We also say another doxology. Do you know what that is? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Don't you just love acknowledging every Sunday that we're a creature? <laughs> it's humbling. 
Well, the doxology of the Lord's Prayer is potent in and of itself. We've already talked about the kingdom part, so let's just talk briefly about the power and the glory part. Power is a tricky subject. Power is something that as human beings we each need to figure out in our own faith journey, in our own life journey. Some people seek power. Some people don't have power or are powerless by no choice of their own. Some people choose to abuse power. Some people choose to misuse power. Some people choose to think they're in total power. So each of us, I believe, has to think about this concept of power and where we are with, where we are with it in our lives and in our faith journey. We need to decide what power means to us. Now, for me, I know I have the power to do all kinds of things, but I also know that when I get down right down to it, I know that I have ultimately relatively little power and that I need a power far greater than me to make it through each day. I need God each day. I know that without God, I am not a zero, non-existent. But we each need to come to terms with where we are with power. What does power mean in your life? Who has the power? Who exercises the power? Who gives you the power? In the doxology of the Lord's Prayer, what we're saying is, God, you are my power. Not me, you are my power. My existence, my future all belong to you, God, because it is through your power that I live. And if we say these words and live them, it's a game changer because through such a stance, we learn to give up control and yield ourselves to God. God, you are my power, not me. And then finally, there's the glory part. Congratulations, applause, kudos, that-a-girls, that-a-boys, compliments, pats on the back, accolades, encouragement, thank you. Keep expressing and doing such things for those around you. It's what we're supposed to do. It's kind, it's loving to express all those things to people around us. It's also kind and loving to ourselves to allow ourselves to feel good about an accomplishment, to pat ourselves on the back. All very important things to do. That said, the Lord's Prayer invites us, however, to remember who gets the ultimate glory, God. Glory, giving glory to God is acknowledging that without God, not only would success, accomplishments, and doing things well would not exist, but neither would we. And the Lord's Prayer gives us and reminds us to give glory to God for everything. Thank you, God. So this is a big prayer. We've covered a lot in just these two weeks. And it's my hope that each of us will become more intentional and more thoughtful about saying the words of the Lord, Lord's Prayer, knowing what it is that we are really saying when we're saying those words. I believe the prayer, the more seriously we take it, the more we jump into it, the more we will be transformed by God. I pray that for each of us, that like looking under the ocean in a glass-bottom boat, the more we use the Lord's Prayer, the more and more we will see things in brand new ways, God's way. I also encourage you to take the prayer phrase by phrase. Yes, use Jesus' words, but take them thinking about the meaning and express the prayer using your own words. Make it your own. Make it personal. Make it relevant to what's happening to your life day by day. So as I thought about this, here's what I wrote down this morning for what the Lord's Prayer sounds like to Robert for Sunday morning. And it may be different this afternoon. But here's what I wrote down. 
Gracious God, you are rock solid. You are my foundation. You will get me through anything. I trust you. I love you. I want to be as close to you as you are to me. I totally and completely depend on you. Thank you for heaven. Thank you for letting me know where I am headed. Give me the hope that can come from that. Help me to trust that and help me to believe all will be well. God, I praise you. I, I worship you. I revere you. God, I pray that your kingdom will take over my life and the lives of those around me. I, I pray that this country will reflect your kingdom. I pray that this world will reflect your kingdom. Help me to be part of your kingdom making and help me to let go of everything in my life that gets in the way of your kingdom. And I know there's a lot to let go of. God, make my will your will. Make me open to see what will serve me the most so I can serve you the best. I ask that your will be done in my life, whatever that is. Make your will my will. God, I pray that you will help me know what I need for today, just today. I know you will give me what I need, and I pray that you will make me content, and I pray that you will help me to reach out to those who do not have what they need. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. Help me to accept your forgiveness and to live in response to it. Help me in my journey of forgiving others. Forgiveness is hard, God, but I know you can forgive others through me. Help me on this journey. God, there are so many temptations around me. Help me not give in to them and give me what I need to overcome such temptations. Keep evil away from me and help me to know what evil is and when evil is around and how to fend it off with your power. God, you are so powerful. I am me because of you, and I cannot live without your power. Fill me with your power to do your will. And God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you've done in my life. I love you. Amen. One version of the Lord's Prayer. I encourage you to take the words of the Lord's Prayer and the meanings that we've explored and create your own prayer day by day around the circumstances you're dealing with day by day. It will transform each of us the more we do that. So now let's turn to a time of silent prayer, and let's just pray to God and listen to God and see what God might have to say to each of us. Let us pray.